1: and welcome to Extra Time on Valentine's Day. And to share the love today, we're joined by Hamish Bidwell, Clay Wilson, Felicity Reed, and Matt Chatterton. Well, the sporting fraternity was all loved up last night for the Halberg Awards, a celebration of the country's top sporting efforts of 2019. The Silver Ferns ran out supreme winners, with Lisa Carrington winning the Sports Woman of the Year Award for the fourth time. UFC fighter Israel Adesanya won the Sportsman. Sophie Pascoe was para-athlete of the year and Silver Ferns mentor Dame Nolene Toro was coach of the year. Felicity, if we start with you, uh, you were there last night at the awards. Silver Ferns were favourites, I suppose, to win that Supreme Award. How well received was it?
0: These awards always bring up a few talking points, but I don't think we can go past it. It really was Netball's night, and I think that was a general feeling that we saw that one coming and a lot of people were quite happy for that to be the outcome. It kicked off early with Yvonne Willering picking up the Life Achievement Award and I think she said as well that she'd been through some tough times herself and was quite happy to see the Silver Ferns brush off what had been a tough previous year to be now acknowledged for what was a really successful 2019. And then the one award that they guess that netball didn't pick up was the sportswoman and that was Lisa Carrington, for the, as you say, for the fourth time. And um, I'm a little bit on the fence about that one. Um
1: In what sense?
0: I've judged in regional sports awards previously, and she's won that award time and time again. And we kind of get the impression of like, I guess, a little bit of boredom. And we can't brush off what she's achieved over that time, but it's the repetitive win. And so it might have been interesting to see the likes of the young snowboarder Zoe Sadowski-Snot maybe get a chance in that one.
1: Yeah, she was certainly a candidate, wasn't she? I suppose the other thing might have been if one of the silver ferns had, had grabbed that, Laura Langman was up, up for that, um, and, and given, I suppose, the domination. Uh, I mean, it is the the, one of the, well, the big feel-good story, I suppose, of, of 2019, wasn't it, given the way things went for them at the, the Commonwealth Games and then uh, the way that things have turned around for them. Uh, I suppose another talking point might have been Israel Adesanya winning the Sportsman of the Year. Um, he was quite forthright in his comments when he uh, won the award, wasn't he?
0: Oh, never want to shy away from the microphone. He's quite a, I, I guess quite a person who knows the touch points and cultural touch points to touch on that people will actually start listening to him. Uh, he is, has always said about traditional sports and about the place of minority sports in New Zealand sporting awards and on the landscape. And maybe he started something a little bit differently and, He's really about getting the next generation and he paid tribute to those who'd gone before him. But I think he was quite keen to maybe see the supreme award winner come from a combat sport or a sport like his in years to come. He's definitely speaking some things that we don't normally hear from other athletes. And it's quite nice to get, a, I guess, unfiltered view of how he really views the sporting landscape.
1: What was it that he particularly touched on?
0: He was really talking about the tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand and about the way other athletes or other people can cut down success. And he really spoke about what it meant to be humble and what it meant to be humble to him and still being able to be successful and still, I guess, draw up those around him. Katrina Roray also spoke about the unity of women's athletes and getting people together and supporting each other and being in part of that as well, that They want to make sure that other athletes are celebrated, and I think that's something that Israel was looking at as well, that it wasn't just him standing out on his own, but it was to be for his sport that he really wanted to get it out there as well.
1: Clay, um, thoughts on the way that these awards have unfolded?
2: Yeah, I think the Silver Ferns probably deserve to win everything they did win. I wasn't that surprised um, to see Lisa Carrington win I always find it difficult, individual athletes and team sports, unless they're really outstanding and not taking away from what Laura, Lang- Laura Langman did with the Silver Ferns. But um, I think the other person that has been mentioned is Zoe Sadaski sinnett and that was the one I'd heard a few people say perhaps she deserved to win it. And I, I heard a few arguments for that, and I can certainly understand in her sport, her age, um, where she's come from and how quickly she's come up to win that award. Um, and obviously the other touch point is Israel Adesanya winning the the men's award and and I was actually really glad to see that I think a lot of people didn't expect that from uh, an award ceremony that has in the past perhaps shied away from giving the award to to non-traditional or minority sports if you want to call them that but I think you can't deny that he deserves that award based on what he's done in a very global sport and sure some people well a lot of people don't like the sport but it's not about liking the sport it's about recognizing the achievement and what people have have done and what they've done to get there and in that sport doing something like that um, is, is pretty outstanding and, and I loved I, I totally expected him to get up there and do something like that but if you listen to what he says he makes a a very good argument and especially in the media I mean we that's how we want people to be um, you want people to be themselves, to be colourful, to say what they think. We get a lot of vanilla these days. So to have someone who can get up there and, sure, you might not like it. It might take you back a bit at first. But if you sit back and listen to what he says, he made some
3: some very good points.
1: Matt, you're um you're a um, UFC fan. You're <laughs> you, you you think he should have got the the supreme award?
3: Well, funny enough, I actually am not. <laughs> particularly a UFC fan, so thanks for that one. Um, no, I mean, I, I actually think he should have won it, to be honest. Um, he was unbeaten, oh well, yeah, I know he only had three fights, but he was unbeaten and is the world champion middleweight UFC fighter. Um, the Silver Ferns, yes, won the world championships, but they still lost the Constellation Cup, so he went through unbeaten, they didn't, which is why I think they should have won. And again, I I agree with Clay, you know, going on the you know recognition, I don't necessarily like UFC. I mean, I watch it uh, from time to time when it is on. But for what he did, yes, I think hands down he should have won. And I also think there's an argument that Eugene Beerman, his coach, should have won too. He only lost one fight uh, throughout uh, from his fighters all year. So, yeah, I think, you know, there's an argument. And as Clay pointed out also, um, it being a minority sport in New Zealand, um, UFC worldwide is probably a bigger sport than netball is, to be honest, nowadays, uh, I would say. Yeah, but so, I suppose
1: what, what people are thinking about too, possibly, is what matters to New Zealanders yes and, and, and netball would certainly
3: yeah that's that's true and it's a, tr- a very traditional sport oversee netball in new zealand um but i think what uh, Artisania sort of sort of showed is that you know Things are changing in New Zealand, the landscape of uh, sports and what we consider to be minority or, or a, a majority sport. And I think he's doing great things, and a lot of um, a lot of New Zealand fighters are doing great things. I mean, even Joseph Parker, you know, in boxing. So I think that was uh, it's yeah. I, I still think that yeah, he should he should have won, to be honest. And I think Eugene Bierman should have too.
1: Hamish, you're you're um, you've been quiet there. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, for me, awards,
4: awards sort of run between. Um, irrelevant and offensive um I, I don't care for them in any sort you know airline awards wine awards tv awards media awards sports awards don't care for them at all um the silver ferns what they do is astonishingly good um unexpected all that kind of stuff winning that doesn't change their year um they, the women themselves will remember the fact that they won the world cup not the fact that they won a helberg and same with most people i don't remember who won the supreme Hellberg last year and I, I don't care um as for niche sports i mean you don't get any more niche than shot put and rowing which are forever uh Awarded prizes at these events. Um, you know, rowing's a secondary school sport that a few adults and national squads do, and shot put give me strength. Does anyone in the world do it apart from Valerie Adams and Tom Walsh? So, yeah, I'm not. I'm not massively interested in awards, and I. What's I wrong don't with really What's
1: wrong to, with celebrating success, though?
4: What's wrong with it? Celebrate it, but we don't have to take it seriously. It's irrelevant. I don't. I don't care about it. Do you know what I mean? I don't. You're asking me whether I care. I'm saying I don't care. I think people I'm just are trying winning. to work out why
1: why you don't care. I mean, because what, what's what's wrong with celebrating that success? Because I think
4: awards are totally subjective. And no, no, no. So, so someone wins a World Cup and you say that's fantastic and you congratulate them. You don't then need to take all the World Cup winners, put them in a pot and and choose a better one. They're we're all good winners. We should celebrate them all. I don't believe in having a better winner. That's what I'm saying.
1: You're all winners. Sounds like a line from Seinfeld, doesn't it? No, was that the you, can,
4: you can congratulate people when they do things well. And the Silver Friends are congratulated. Adesanya's been congratulated. Lisa Carrington is congratulated. But they don't have to be compared and, and, and someone appointed a winner. That, that's that's offensive to me. I I,
1: I I mean, I sort of partially get what you're saying, but but I like the idea of bringing New Zealand's sporting success together. And why, why not enjoy a, a good year or 2019 or, or, or what you can celebrate and bring the whole sporting fraternity together? I, I, I can't really see the problem in that.
2: I think perhaps maybe it's about – I've often thought they could just do away with the awards and just have a night celebrating – all those that have been successful. I guess you've got to have a cut-off point. You can't invite every athlete across the country, but you you can perhaps do the initial process and get all the finalists together, and they're not going to be finalists. You call them whatever you want to call them. And just because that's what people... That's what creates, uh, that's what annoys some people about it, like Hamish is talking about, is that you pit them against each other, and it's completely subjective. I mean, were the Silver Ferns better than um, some uh, some other athlete? Were they better than Adesanya? What they did? I mean, it's impossible to compare those things. Oh, yeah, if I mean, I keep... don't think
1: there's any argument that it's subjective, but but life is, so, oh, you know, that's, you know, t- t- that, t- that, you did right. I mean, sub, yes, I mean, you're not, you, yes, you are picking a winner. It's absolutely subjective, and... Um, uh, maybe creates a good, uh, you know, creates a talking point in the two in the well, sense that, the you, you, you to, know, yeah. it, we, it then talks about or well, has people talking about the success of New Zealand athletes, which, you know, I don't think is a bad thing. Felicity, your thoughts? Would you would you much rather just abandon the, the award ceremony and have a, a, ce- a celebration per se?
0: I agree that it's difficult to compare sport on sport. I mean, especially, say, in an Olympic year, how do you compare two gold medals? It's a difficult thing to do, and I think it's still a good idea to celebrate all of their winners as well. And I think it was a good night for all of those people to get together. A lot of the athletes enjoy the opportunity as well to get together with athletes of a different code that they may not normally interact with, but they're all quite successful individually.
1: Hey, miss, you'd be just you'd be happy enough just to abandon the thing together by the sound of it? Just lost you there
4: for a sec, but yeah, if you're asking me, would I like to see them abandoned? Yes, all awards are abandoned across every part of society. Absolutely,
3: definitely. Are we allowed to have fun in this world, Hamish? God
4: you're asking me if I want to have awards. Yeah. I'm saying no I don't. Yeah. Yes. Fair enough. So yes or no situation, I've said no. Yeah, yeah.
1: What would you like to see done then? We just we just we don't have any significant celebration at all. Just leave them as to to, you know, you win Olympic gold and and that's great, and then move on?
4: Um, I haven't given any thought because I don't really care, do you know what I mean? Um, no, no, yeah, yeah. No, I, know, s- no, I, see yes. where,
1: I see where you're coming from, yeah. Oh,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. It, While I disagree with you. It doesn't change you, my opinion of any of the people whether they win or not, do you know what I mean? Like, I, it's not that they're all winners, it's just that whether they win this or they don't win this, that they're still whoever they were before the event started, do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. What, I mean... Happy enough with with who got what then? I mean, you know, despite that. Uh, no, again,
4: because I mean, I like like I say, no, I, I, I don't I don't I don't care, and I don't compare them, and I don't want to compare them. That's what I'm that's what I'm saying.
1: No, I, I understand you don't want to compare them, but I'm asking you to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I genuinely can't. and okay.
4: that's, that's it. You know, I'm not sure of an opinion generally, but like that's I don't have an opinion on that. Absolutely not.
2: I but I think a lot of people are the same. A lot of people look at them, and I mean, some in some categories. There's a, there's a clear and obvious winner. I think most people agree that Noelene Tauru, you know, what she did with the Silver Ferns from where they were was amazing. But a lot of the time, I mean, it's very, very difficult to say, well, what this person did was better than what this person did. You, you know, you don't know all about it. There's certainly... Can I come in here just for a sec?
4: Yeah. I had a parent who was a Halberg judge, right? And let's say there was one year, I think it was Gifu Japan 2005, like five New Zealand crews won gold medals in rowing events. Do you know who they gave it to out of all those five? The Swind- Ever Swindells twins. Do you know why? Because they had a media profile, and people knew who they were. No one knows if their event was the best. No one knows if they, their performance was the greatest, but people knew them. People knew their face, people knew their story, and so they voted for them. And I just think that's so superficial and just so rank that I just, I honestly don't care.
1: The, the, I suppose you, you raise a point there as, as the way that the awards are decided, and I think that they've revamped the panel over over in recent years. I mean, you've now actually got more, I mean, previously it was, mostly made up of sports journalists, um, who, who, who you might say might have a, a, a sort of wider knowledge and more of an independent view, and it's now got many more sports people involved, and part of the criticism has been that the sports people involved tend to tend to look after after their own, and, and that sort of, in a sense, creates even more issues.
2: I think the other thing to come out of it for me, and we talked about n- non-traditional sports and minor- minority sports, but you look at the sports that are popular now with younger kids i mean basketball is a great example right we consider that in new zealand when you look at the tall blacks and um and the new zealand women's team i mean they're not considered to be someone we look at as one of our major sport national sports teams but at a a youth level and these are the athletes that are going to be well if as long as they stay in the sport are going to be the athletes that that succeed and come through at the top so perhaps there's a changing i mean rugby is probably for a long time going to be a national sport and cricket and netball these sports are going to be very popular for a long time but the sports that perhaps not many kids did 20 or 30 years ago a lot of kids are doing now football is incredibly popular at at, uh, junior and youth level as well so um, I think the likes of mixed martial arts basketball football these types of sports perhaps that's where things are going more so you know it's good to see that some of those sports can perhaps be recognised in some way even if not everyone agrees with the way that's done
1: Excellent. Okay. Um, well, moving, moving along, um, the Six Nations could, well, supposedly to report out of the Northern Hemisphere, could become the Seven Nations, with more speculation South Africa's going to uh, possibly join up. Hamish, um, good thing, bad thing, do we, do we care?
4: I care, yeah, I really care. I tell you why I care because I think um, something needs to happen for New Zealand rugby to get out of the, 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 the malaise they're in. I think rugby in New Zealand's going down the tubes. Um, it's not a single level, whether it be club rugby, provincial rugby, Super Rugby, or the All Blacks, that can pay for itself. I'm seeing things like in England, where the English Premiership clubs are trying to ring fence themselves. So there's no promotion relegation. They can't make a buck, and the reason no one can make a buck is the demands of se- our players for salary. Um, so everyone's going broke, and no one's got a, f- a way to fix it. And New Zealand rugby is propped up by Supersport, which is a television network from South Africa, and if they bail, we're toast. Do you know what I mean? And Israel Adesanya talked about, let's um, celebrate athletes and let's support them and let's all get behind them in that. I don't want to exaggerate too much, but my local rugby club is one bad sausage sizzle away from oblivion at a time when our best all blacks make a million bucks and don't want to play. And I just think we need to have a bit of a take stock here. And the chance of South Africa to go to the Six Nations would be that chance to take stock and look at the revenue streams, look at professional rugby, look at whether we need to contract players from overseas and who actually pays their wages, whether New Zealand rugby should keep doing it. Because New Zealand rugby are going broke trying to compete with overseas clubs in terms of paying players. And it's not a sustainable model And a super sport from South Africa go, as I say, we're, we're, we're toast.
3: Is the answer possibly looking at different ways? I mean, I know that uh, New Zealand Rugby and Sky have locked up their broadcasting agreement for well, another four or five years now, but um, I was reading a piece recently about um, the possibility of moving things online uh, to services like Twitch and uh, YouTube and not to try and draw in new revenue streams. Um, Hamish, do you have any thoughts on that, if, you, if we could possibly go down that revenue?
4: Well, at the moment, broadcasting seems to be the only mechanism by which unions and competitions fund themselves, and they need to look at other things. They certainly don't um, generate money by getting people to come to games anymore because they're so disenchanted by the fact that people aren't playing. So anything that they can do to generate money that isn't reliant on a television conglomerate would be helpful. Um, whether they divide up competitions in terms of um, media fees, I don't know, but they, they need to do something because they can't pay their way. And it's it's actually going to get to the point where... There are no clubs and no clubs. There's no clubs. They can't feed the system and the whole system will fall over and we'll just, yeah, we'll just we'll have no, no product at all.
2: Hamish, you, you talked about uh, competing with overseas clubs. The All Blacks have forever had a rule. Obviously, you have to play in New Zealand to play for the All Blacks. Is would you think that's something perhaps that needs to be seriously looked at? Because yeah, like it's something that's going to be very There's hard to change. change but it's already
4: doesn't? it's already happened. I mean, Matt Todd last year or was it the year before? I forget now. Mm-hmm. Was picked from Japan. Sam White Locks playing in Japan is going to be picked in the All Blacks uh, potentially as captain. So that, they that's try relaxing. and thing.
2: But they try and sort of fob that off as sabbaticals and other things. Is it time to yeah. to, to look at it and say let's get rid of this thing altogether? Well, because they, they all the money they, we're using to pay these players could come can't to much. These, up. They
4: can't, the model they've got. They can't continue to pay these guys. They need the clubs to pay these guys because we, we they can't afford it. And the whole game, as I say, is going down the gurgler so yeah it's time to contract guys from overseas i think south africa did it and they mm-hmm. won the world cup so it's not like it's going to be the end of your rugby we've these sort of nationalistic ideas about the strength of the game and and national pride and they can't go overseas it's just about a tv product if our best players go then there's little there's less to sell to broadcasters so that's why they've kept them here but um, in the end that, even that's not working so they have to look at another model
3: well, exactly. I mean, you've got your best player in the country, supposedly, on a sabbatical, and st- you know, he's not going to be playing until April for the Blues. It's ridiculous. Yes, and
4: then next year he's not going to play at all. Do you know what I mean? Like, fair income. How good a job is that, if you can get it?
1: Hey, Hamish Bidwell, Matt Chatterton, Clay Wilson, and Felicity Reid, thanks for your time this week uh, talking on the Halbergs and the Six Nations, possibly becoming the Seven Nations. The Samoan-born New Zealand boxer Jimmy Piao, or Jimmy Thunder as he was known in the ring, is being remembered as a gentle giant of the sport. The Commonwealth Games heavyweight gold medalist died earlier this week following surgery on a brain tumour. He was 54. As well as winning Commonwealth Games gold, Piao won two world titles and produced one of the fastest knockouts in boxing history. Boxing New Zealand executive member John Mackay was head coach of the national team during Piao's days as a South Auckland amateur. He told Clay Wilson that he caught up with Piau about 18 months ago, shortly after PR 's return to New Zealand from the United States.
5: I was a little bit taken aback by his uh, physical and mental um, condition, really. Um, it was a different person to the one that I knew when he was boxing as an amateur for an Auckland training out at Jerry Preston's place.
2: Going back to those days, what was your involvement with Jimmy and, and what are your lasting impressions of him?
5: I remember him as being a quiet man. Always had a nice smile, was always polite. Uh, he and Jerry were virtually inseparable at the time, and Jerry did a great job in bringing him up into uh, international boxing class. Uh, I saw, remember seeing the fight where he won the gold medal in Scotland in 1986, where he knocked over the uh, Scottish boy uh, at the end of the last round, and he was actually losing the fight till then, so that was a very, very big moment for Jim. And, of course, then when he turned professional and he moved away from New Zealand, I think a lot of the problems for Jimmy was he was badly mismanaged. And, of course, he I, I didn't see it firsthand, but I did see the television um, shot of where he knocked out, um, I've forgotten the American's name, in one and a half seconds, I think it was one punch, and knocked him out cold. I saw that.
2: Was that how you remember him as a boxer? Like he was really renowned for that? that power and very well known he had, for that, that he particular had, fight.
5: Absolutely. He had huge power. He would knock people out, but he also got knocked over a few times himself, probably because his defence. He relied on his attack rather than relying too much on defence. So in terms of skill factor, probably not the most skillful fighter, but one of the most powerful punches I've seen.
2: I want to go back to the uh, Avondale fight because it is such a great story. Can you perhaps go and... Do a bit more detail about your memories of that night and how that all played out.
5: It was a, a lead-up fight for Jimmy either to go to the Oceania Championships or to go to something something international. I forget what it was. And, and uh, Akawande was the, the boy to beat in the world at the time as an amateur. But Jimmy was there when he fought Akawande, particularly in the first round. He went quite well. The second round didn't go quite so well and he got frustrated, I think, because it was very hot. It was outside. It was a very hot day. He took his shoes off and he put um, why he ever put um, the crystals on his feet to rough roughen the soles of his feet off, I have no idea, but that didn't help in terms of getting blisters on his on the soles of his feet to the stage that almost the whole sole of the foot had actually had actually come off.
2: you know things didn't all pan out as he would have hoped when he went away and he fell on some pretty tough times. When you started to learn about that, how did you feel about that given you know your connection with him?
5: Oh, very sad, really. Um We had uh, we had not really kept in in close contact. Uh, when he came back, occasionally I might have talked to him, but only if I met him in the street. But he was a he was a man who, for mine anyway, sort of kept to himself a bit. Uh, but he was a what I would call a gentle giant, and I think um, he'd be listening to people and he would take note of what they said, and he'd probably take it in. And uh, at times I thought perhaps he might you know, just being a little bit gullible. And I say that in a nice way, not in a nasty way. Uh, he would take people at face value, and I think that was probably his downfall, particularly at latter stages of his um, of his professional career. You know, you'd have to say that he was one of our great heavyweights, and certainly as an amateur, he was very well known. He'd fight anybody, at any time, anywhere.
1: Boxing New Zealand's John Mackay talking to Clay Wilson. The competitive spirit never dies for many former top athletes and it's that feeling that's encouraged former world champion paddler Ben Phuwey to return to the National Canoe Sprint Champs on Lake Karapiro this weekend. The 40-year-old will compete in the Open K1 1000, the event which he won the world title in in 2003 and then went on to win Olympic silver a year later in Athens. Phuwey's keen to test himself but admits he'll be quite a few metres behind the top paddlers. He told Barry Guy that he stayed fit competing in various multi-sport and endurance events in recent years and after taking part in a Waka Armour event over summer he decided to get back into the kayak.
6: I I did the Ironman last year, did a 73k ultra run which is something I never imagined I could ever run that far. So it's not a matter of liking competing, I am competing I'm just doing things at the level that a 40-year-old does. (laughs) Yeah, I just do whatever I want really and it so happens that I'm going to paddle a K1 this coming weekend, and I'll, I will enjoy that. I have enjoyed the last 10 days of paddling that I've done. It's really surprised me that I've been, been able to paddle as well as I have, considering I've been in a K1 about three times in three years, up until a week ago. So, yeah, no expectation barrier. It's just, uh, just a bit of fun. It's a thing that I'm privileged to have been able to do for a big part of my life and, and compete at the highest level, and it's nice to be able to revisit some flat water racing and catch up some old friends and all the rest of it.
1: So it still hurts as much as it used to?
6: Oh yeah. yeah, probably more. It all depends how hard you push yourself but then you don't get that satisfaction so, so I think it's just, it's just a, a reflex that takes over when you line up. You're like, oh geez, why am I doing this? And then you get through the race and then you have a, a whole weekend afterwards to reflect on it and talk about it and enjoy it and set goals and ambitions for the, for the next event. And Yeah, I do think it's something that's in my makeup, and, I, and, I, and a lot of people have it and it's, it's always a challenge for a retired athlete to, to let that go, and I, and I guess you try and distance yourself from it because it makes it easier to let it go. But then I think it's just a, a step I have to take in terms of being able to just accept the fact of life that you get older and you, you're not at that level. But it doesn't mean I shouldn't, you know, just front up and en- enjoy racing at whatever you know level I'm capable of.
1: I suppose there's a chance some of these young guys may not even know who you are.
6: <laughs> um, yeah, there's probably a chance of that. Yeah, I think a few of them do. I, I've, I've heard there's been a bit of a that a bit of chat that uh, people have noticed i am entered and, and uh, it's, it's nice to hear some you know, just people from some of the clubs saying that some of the young guys who I'm going to be racing against are really excited to be lining up against me and they're really thrilled about that and so that obviously that's really nice for me to hear that you know, they know who I am and, and they appreciate the fact that they're going to be able to race me and probably beat me and yeah, it's nice to know that enthusiasm there.
1: It's former world kayak champion Ben Philly talking to Barry Guide. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now.